Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Heavenly Father, we want to pray now as we... We just sung the words of this song, and we do mean, we do mean it, Lord. We do love you. Uh, we are not worthy of your love and grace and mercy, and, and we know that. But you've chosen to love us. You've chosen to call us to yourself. You've chosen to allow us to come and to worship you, to sing your praises. What a privilege, Lord, to even, to even be in a place to open our mouths and open these instruments and praise your name, these unworthy lips. But we do thank you for that privilege. And we pray now as we open your word, that our hearts would be open to your word, that we would hear your words this morning. And we pray for our uh, children as they uh, spend time now with their leaders and teachers in music and in opening your word, uh, that they will be blessed and that their hearts will be drawn toward you each day. Thank you for those who spend so much time preparing uh, for our youth and children's ministry. Uh, May you bring blessing upon that work even in this week to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We dismiss our children at this time to Children's Church and Children's Choir. It's part of our uh, human nature that we do not place ourselves in paths of danger or even inconvenience. If I were to tell you today when you left this place, um, you know, I-5 is closed, uh, at a certain place, uh, you're not going to be able to get through, you would think of an alternate route. If I told you for sure if you go this direction or that direction, you may get in a car accident, I'm sure if you believed that was true, you would go a different direction. Uh, we take great care and uh, concern to not place ourselves in places of danger. We, we train our young people as we uh, raise them in the things of God. Don't put yourself in places where you will be Uh, in danger Uh, for all of us. Don't put yourself in places where you will be tempted. And this morning, as we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 21, we're going to see a situation where Paul is in great danger. And I'd like to have you open Acts 21. And as as we read the first part of this, I want you to think to yourself the question, why? Paul, why would you do this? Why would you place yourself in such great danger? Why would you do this? Uh, So we need to just read this uh, section here. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 21. Paul says, After we had torn ourselves away from them, that is away from the Ephesian elders that they were uh, praying with and weeping with and so forth, we put out to sea and we sailed straight to coasts. The next day we went to Rhodes. That's always kind of, that's where my father came from, Rhodes. And I remember sailing into the port of Rhodes in the old city of Rhodes, that uh, where the, the same port that Paul sailed into in our, in our trip to Israel. Uh, and from there to Patera, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, that is on the northern coast of Israel, up toward Lebanon today, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, now notice, through the Spirit, and in my translation that's capitalized, indicating 
The translators believe this is the Holy Spirit. You could argue the case this is their own human spirit, but I think most of your translations seem to indicate through the Holy Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city and on the beach we knelt and prayed. Verse 7, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais. We greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Then they went to Caesarea. And you notice he comes to the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven from earlier in the book of Acts. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. This is kind of, we talk about this a little bit tonight in our Bible study, but... These four daughters who prophesied, who spoke for God, um, what did they prophesy? Uh, some suggest that maybe this, maybe it was their prophecy and their speaking that Luke gathered some of the information from the earlier part of the book of Acts. He wasn't there earlier on in Jerusalem and so on. And maybe these uh, daughters uh, prophesied and maybe that was the source of some of his material. We don't know for sure, but we have this interesting comment, these four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we've been there a number of days, now look, notice, a prophet, and nowhere in the text does it say a false prophet, nowhere is he challenged or anything else, it just says, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and came over to us, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, he took that, it's, it's kind of a large, I think the King James says girdle maybe, but that might portray a different thought. It's kind of a large cloth belt that they would wear around and to tie up to hold up their uh, coat and so forth. And he took this and, and he tied his own hands and feet. And he said, the Holy Spirit says, and this time it is clearly the Holy Spirit, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, in the Old Testament, we have some cases where the prophets did some unusual things, up to and including uh, marrying a prostitute that God told one as a sign to Israel that Israel has has gone after foreign gods like one would go after a prostitute, for example. We have uh, cases where um, they did things that were just unusual. They, they broke pottery. They walked with very little clothing and things like this to, to demonstrate to Israel as a picture of what God was trying to teach them. And here's a case here where this, in the Old Testament sense, in the Old Testament tradition, this prophet, who is not called a false prophet, he is called a prophet, says to Paul, in the picture this guy, he takes this long piece of cloth, he ties his hands and he ties his feet. I'm not going to sit down and show you what it might look like, but you can use your imagination. It's four you know, appendages and one piece of cloth all tied up. And he says, now look it, look it. This is what the Holy Spirit says. The owner of this cloth is going to be taken and he's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. He's going to be bound and tied up, if you will. And notice verse 12. So it's a clear warning to Paul. Paul, you're heading for danger. You are going to a dangerous situation in Jerusalem. And this is what's going to happen to you. And nowhere does Paul say, oh, that's crazy. That's, that's dumb. What's this guy doing? Or anything. No one... No one says anything. Luke doesn't say anything. So I think we can assume that this guy is prophesying the truth. And Paul understands that. And, of course, they say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. Paul, when he was called, was sent to where? He was sent to the huh? to the Gentiles. 
He was told, you will preach my name before your people, the Gentiles and kings, but I am sending you far away from Jerusalem. I am sending you to the Gentile world, away from Judea, to preach the gospel. And they could easily argue, Paul, why are you going, why are you doing that? Here's what's going to happen. Don't go there. And when Paul answers them, he says this, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would, we would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. They're, they're going from the coast now and they're going up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us, brought us to the home of Menensum where we stayed. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us, Luke writing this, went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul goes to Jerusalem, and for the second time, he meets with the disciples and with James. James is the Lord's brother. James is the head of the Jerusalem church. He was the physical brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who who came to be a believer in Christ and became the head of this church. He comes to Jerusalem and he meets with these. Do you remember last time he met with these people? Do you remember what chapter that was by any chance? Acts chapter 15. Yes, very good. Acts chapter 15, Paul goes to Jerusalem and we have the Jerusalem council. And they came away with an understanding. He came down there to answer because of the, the, the false accusations, the, 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 the discord in the church, because of the Jewish-Gentile question and the law, keeping the Mosaic law. And they, and, he left with, and they left with an agreement. Now, you know, there's a lot of words that, that uh, we, we use in our language that are Latin. Can you think of some of the Latin phrases that we use all the time? Ad nauseum. Right? <laughs> That's a nice one. Um, what are some, you know, music? What are some of the Latin phrases you hear all the time? Huh? Etc. 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 Good. What else? Huh? You can talk. I'll tell you when you can talk. You can talk now. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to talk in a minute. Anything else? Huh? Addendum. Ibid. Right? Ad infinitum. Anything else? What? Quid pro quo. You win the prize, Carol. Okay. All right. Now you can't talk anymore. Now I'm going to talk, okay? Quid pro quo, which uh, our lawyers here is in your world, right? You, this is uh, uh, some of the financial. It, it means, really, I, I understand literally. I think I got this right, Keith. It means what for what. That's what it means. What for what. It's like a, a transaction. And it's like, you know, Gary... Um, you know, if, if I give you this, if I give you this Bible and I'm going to give this to you, what are you going to give me in return? And Gary says, well, I'm going to give you a Greek text. It's sort of a, an equal exchange. You know, it's what for what? And generally the idea has to be, has to do with a trade, with something that is sort of an equal value, something in the sense that this, this makes sense. What for what? Quid pro quo. And, you know, in the Acts 15 situation, we kind of had a quid pro quo, didn't we? They came to an agreement, and they said, okay, listen, Paul, when you go back to the Gentile churches, 
When you go back to Turkey, to Greece, uh, hopefully to Rome someday, to Syria, when you go to these churches, they do not have to keep the Jewish law. We will agree to that. We will not impose upon them the Jewish Mosaic law. However, in return, what we would ask that you agree to is that they don't eat uh, blood, they don't eat meat, uh, animals that have been strangled, they abstain from idolatry and sexual immorality. And they had kind of an understanding and a what for what. And that was what they agreed to. That was the last time Paul was in Jerusalem for a significant time we have in the book of Acts. He comes back this time, and he comes to report how it's been going in the Gentile churches. And in the, in the actual, in the literal, in the Greek translation, I think maybe the American, New American Standard, some of the translations have this, that it, it says Paul, re, re, um, a minute by, one by one, he tells them one by one what God has been doing throughout the world, how people have been coming to Christ, Gentiles, pagans who've never heard of the one true God, others who had been hanging around synagogue, others who were Jewish, they were coming to Christ. And the gospel was flourishing in every town. He had left these churches and elders and pastors. And they were growing and they were meeting in homes and maybe in rented buildings. And, the, and what was happening, he comes back and he brings the good news. There's also another reason why Paul has come to Jerusalem. And if, you might remember this as we have touched on this a few times. But just, if you go back in your Bible, actually go ahead in your Bible, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, First Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says this in verse 1. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches. Paul is in, is in Greece right now. He says, do what I told the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, Every one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Paul is going from church to church throughout Asia Minor, throughout Greece, and he is collecting money to bring as a gift to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Why are they poor? Well, if you remember early in the book of Acts, I don't really know exactly why. There could have been a famine. There, you know, it could have been all sorts of things. But also in the early part of Acts, remember, they were selling their property and bringing it and putting it in a common pool. They were preparing for the Messianic kingdom. It was right around the corner, it appeared. And they were doing this, what we don't do, we don't tell you to go sell your homes and cars and bring all the money in and give it to the church. Um, and I know there's some crackpots that tell people that, and people do it. And, uh, excuse me, I don't, you know, crackpots. <laughs> That's Latin, I think, too. But anyway, you know, we don't practice that today, do we? See? But they were practicing that because they were preparing for the kingdom. Well, when the Israel, the leaders of Israel rejected the kingdom and God began a new program, this dispensation we're in, this, this age of the church, the body of Christ, and that, and that kingdom did not come for now, uh, that may have contributed to this situation. These, these people are poor. They're struggling. And Paul is going around the entire known world that he's been in collecting money to take to Jerusalem. 
And this is what he's doing right now in this Acts 21. If you go back to, to Romans chapter 15, you'll notice in Romans, look at Romans 15 and verse 30. And in this passage here, Paul has not been to Rome yet. He has not, he has not even met these people, but he writes this letter. He's, he's, wa- he's wanting to come. And you notice he says, I urge you, brothers, in verse 30 of chapter 15 of Romans, just before Corinthians, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together you will be refreshed. And he says, Romans, pray for me. Because before I come to you, I'm going to Jerusalem. And my prayer is that when I get there, my ministry will be accepted. And I, and I, and I think Paul's referring to this cash gift he's bringing. That it will not cause division. It will not cause a problem. It will not cause, you know, for those, is, well, we'll see why in a second here. But he prays, pray for me, that when I get there, this will work out well. And that this money will do what it's supposed to do. And they will understand. We see, if we go back to Acts chapter 21, we will see, uh, you can also later on look at chapter 24 and verse 17, you'll see the same thing. Paul, before his defense in the Romans, says, I came to bring the gift, alms for my people. Alms, you know that word, alms for the poor, you've heard that. He says, I'm bringing these gifts, these alms to my people. That's why I came. So Paul and his companions arrive, they go to Jerusalem. This, you know, this is why when they say, when, when Agabus says, this is what's going to happen. The, the owner of this belt is going to be tied. Paul says, I don't care. They can kill me if they want. But God is sending me there. We are bringing this money, this gift to the Jerusalem saints. And then they have collected all over the, the Asian and the, and, the, and the Greek world where they have been. And I want, you to, I want you to look at this here. Look back at chapter 21 when, in Paul's discussion with them. He tells to them, he tells to them detail by detail what God has done. And verse 20, when they heard this, they praised God. James and the other apostles, the leaders of the Jewish church in, in Judea, they had the Christian church, they were Christians. And, and they praise God and they, and they glorify God and they say, hallelujah, amen. And, 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 he's, and, and, and notice what they say. James says to Paul, you see, brother, brother Paul, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law? So I want you to understand this context in Jerusalem. This word thousands here, it's really the base word for 10,000. It's kind of like if I were to use the word myriads, okay? You know what I mean by that? I mean, you know, beyond your counting, you know, I mean, just tons of them, if you will. I could say tons of them, same thing. I don't mean, you know, necessarily weight-wise. But so this word here, thousands, at the minimum, there's 10,000 Jewish believers in Jerusalem area. There could have been fifteen or 20,000. Now, I want you to think for a minute. If Paul is bringing a cash gift to be of some value... To a body this big, think of how much money they are carrying. This is not, you know, a couple hundred bucks. They are carrying a lot of money because there's over 10,000 believers in there and they're struggling financially. They need help. 
And he's asked the Christians around the world, just as, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, in, in our situation, in the, in the West, in the United States, for example, why we carry so much of the, of the financial burden for God's work, it's for whatever reason God has blessed us with it. And this is biblical, that we reach out to brothers and sisters who don't have, not to create them to be dependent on us, but it's incumbent upon us to reach out as the body of Christ and to help one another, just as we do in our own little microcosm here at the body of Christ, our church, to reach out and help one another. And, 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 and they are carrying this gift to these thousands of people. But notice what James says. He says, these brothers and sisters in, in, in the Lord in Jerusalem, they have all believed. He's talking about Christians here. But he says they're zealous for the law. And they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. There are false teachings and rumors and accusations against Paul. How do you like to be falsely accused? What's your first response when someone accuses you falsely? What is it? Huh? It's, 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 to, it's, it's to clear it up, to defend yourself. And, 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 and James says, listen, Paul, we've got over 10,000 believers, Christian, Jews, and yet they are zealous for the law. You just have to understand that to become a Christian, for a Jewish person in Jerusalem to become a Christian, did not cause them to cease being a Jew. They did not think that way. Any more than when you became a Christian, you, if, if you're an American citizen, okay, or whatever country you're from, if you, if, wherever you were saved, it did not cause you to no longer be an American, a Bolivian, a Puerto Rican, an African, a Filipino. It, you know, it, it, you, you are now a American Christian, a Filipino Christian. And for these Jews, they became Christians, but they're still Jews. They're still Israelites. They're still practicing their customs and traditions. They still have their holidays. They are still practicing the law. And they can't conceive of any other way of life. And, and the message is, Paul, is the story is going all over Jerusalem, and they know when you come. Remember, Paul used to be a Pharisee. They knew who he was. He was no stranger in Jerusalem by any stretch of the imagination. And they said that it's, it's spread all over our people, that when you go out to these other places, you are telling our fellow Jews they no longer have to keep the Mosaic Law. And this is causing great division and struggle in our midst, in our unity, in our, in our, here, here's what we want you to do. And I want to ask you this. Is this a, a quid pro quo? Is this a what for what? Here's the deal. Because for James to accept this cash gift from Paul could cause division in Jerusalem. If his fellow Jews and believers say, well, wait a minute, we're not taking money from that guy. Look at the damage he's causing all over our world. We're not, we're not, they don't, it's a time of transition. It's a time of change. And here's it. Here's the what for what, maybe. He says, I'll tell you what we'll do. What shall we do? Verse 21. They will certainly, 22. They will certainly hear you've come. And what, and so what do we tell you? There are four men with us who have made a vow. It's, it's what's called a Nazarite vow. We'll talk a little more about this tonight. You can read about it in the Old Testament. It's a temporary vow. It wasn't, like, wasn't like Solomon, a lifelong one. It was a temporary vow. They took it for a period of time. Eventually, they had to cut their hair and bring the hair and burn it and offer it as a sacrifice. It's a Jewish tradition, a Jewish vow from the book of Numbers. These men had made this vow. 
And he says, listen, we want you, Paul, to join them. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses, which was pretty expensive, actually. And this would have been Paul's personal money. This would not have been the offerings. So they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. And he reminds him of the quid pro quo from before. As for Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision. They should not, they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and sexual immorality. And the next day, Paul did it. Paul took these men. James says, so everybody will know you live according to Jewish law. Did Paul live according to Jewish law every place he went? What do you think? Do you think when Paul was in Corinth, do you think when Paul went to Rome, did he live according to Jewish law? Did he eat kosher all the time? Did he not go into Gentiles' houses? And if he did, when he came out of that Gentiles' house, if he came to your house and he left your house, would he go purify himself according to rabbinic law? But James, but James says, Paul, so that everyone will know that these are false teachings about you, we want you to do this. And Paul did it. He went into the temple. He went with these men. He paid the fee eventually. He, he announced the seven days of purification. He was their representative. And he paid the fee. He purified himself. He cleansed. He did everything he had to do according to the minutest detail of the Jewish law, which was quite extravagant. And he went in there and he did it. Why did Paul do this? Why did he do this? Is this a quid pro quo? Is this a what for what? Is this a broker deal that James says, listen, Paul, we have a problem here. Some of the commentators suggest this. We take your money, we're going to have to answer to our fellow Jews. But if you do this, it will take care of it, and it will be a wash, it will be a balance. And the result of this act that Paul did, verse 27, when the seven days were over, Nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. And they stirred up the whole crowd and they seized him shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They were in the Jewish court where Gentiles didn't go. And he says, we brought, he, he's brought Gentile. He's flagrantly throwing the law in our face. He's causing trouble all over the world, and now you know it because look at he's come right here in the temple and he's brought he's brought Gentiles into the temple. It's because they had seen this guy, Trophimus the Ephesian, in the city with Paul, and they assumed Paul had brought them in the temple area. The whole city was stirred up, aroused, and they came running from all directions, and they seized Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and the gates were shut, and they were trying to kill him. <laughs> And as you read on in this account, you'll see when the Romans finally showed up, they quit beating up on Paul. They are physically beating Paul. They're trying to kill him. It's a mob action. Agabus was right. Agabus prophesied in the spirit. He was exactly right. Because the Romans step in and snatch Paul away. And listen, tuck this away. From this point to the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in Roman custody. From this point on, you will not find Paul ever out of Roman custody as a prisoner till the end of Acts 28, and it ends that way. 
Agabus was right. This broker deal didn't go so well. It didn't satisfy them. But I want to suggest to you, and I want you to make an application to your life from this. I think we can learn a lot from these godly men. I don't think Paul was interested in any deal. I don't think James was interested in the deal. I think they were trying to do not what for what, but they were trying to do, I'm not sure what the Latin would be, what for God. They were trying to do what was right for God's work. Paul was willing to give in. He didn't have to do this. Paul did not have to go into the temple and put himself in that place and be a part of this vow. He did not have to do that. He was not obligated to do that. And he could have said no. These men are trying to bring unity. They're trying to bring health. They're trying to bring healing. They're trying. Why did Paul go to Jerusalem? He wanted to bring this a massive gift that he brought with him. And we also know Paul's heart from Romans 9 through 11. My heart's desire for Israel is what? I would even be willing to what? Be cut off from Christ. Paul says, I'd be willing to give up my salvation. Could you say that? I mean, think about that. Could I say that? Would you be willing to give up eternity with God in heaven for eternity in hell with Satan? Would you be willing to give that up for any one person? For eternity. Paul says, that's my heart. I am so passionate about my people, my fellow Jews, even though I'm the missionary to the Gentile world. I am so passionate about them. I'd be willing to give up my salvation if they would come. Listen, friends. Paul went to Jerusalem. Paul was willing to even go to the extent of going in and putting himself in danger in the temple. Paul was willing to throw himself in the middle of this for one reason, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem and to bring health and healing to this body. Friends, at this point in the story, the Christian world, there's a, there's a divide. There is the Christian world in Jerusalem and Judea, and there is the Christian world in the Gentile world. And there is this huge divide. There are if there are over 10,000, there very well may have been more believers in Jerusalem than the rest of the world combined at this time. And Paul was willing to do this. And I want to suggest to you that the model Paul worked under in his ministry, and I think we should work under in our lives, in our ministries, in our relationships, in our families, in our church, is this. We didn't really touch on this last week. In chapter 20, the chapter before this, we actually touched on it Sunday night. Here's the, here's the principle Paul works under. And I think it's the one that you and I should work under. Paul says this in chapter 20, verse 35, And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We must help those in need, whether it be spiritual need or physical need, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, quote, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Interesting thing is, you can scour the Gospels, you will not find that quote in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. 
That verbatim quote is not in the Gospels. But it was clearly a well-understood saying of the Lord Jesus Christ that they accepted and they knew about that had been going around the Christian circles that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I want you to take this home with you today. This is what chapter 21 is all about. This is why Paul put himself in this situation. This is why he put his life in danger. This is why his reputation, it wasn't, didn't matter what they said about him. It didn't even matter, Paul says, that they try and kill me. If, I don't want to die. Paul had a lot to do still. He, he told the Romans, I'm hoping to come to you. And he did get there. Not the way he wanted to, but he did get there. But he says, you know what? It's not about me. And it's not about a what for a what. It's about it's more blessed to give than to receive. Think about your life, friends. Think about your relationships. If we all practice this attitude to one another, how could you go wrong? How could you go wrong? If you and I are in any kind of relationship, and, and you, whether it's in my family, in my church, in my neighborhood, my place of work, in my school, whatever it is, my youth group, if my attitude is, it's more blessed for me to give than to get, and your attitude is the same way, how can you go wrong? How could you miss with that kind of a relationship? But our natural tendency, let's face it, let's be honest, I'll be honest, uh, it's no big revelation. I know what my natural tendency is. My natural tendency is it's more blessed to what? To get than to give. Sorry, but that's my, my nature. I'm human. But the Holy Spirit has come into my life and into your life. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the ability to not react always by our human nature but to allow God to work through us. And I want to challenge you today. Is there a relationship? Is there a situation? Is there a conflict? Could be at work. Could be in your neighborhood. In fact, is this something that we only practice to believers? Or is this a general principle for life with all we come in contact with? It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is what Paul did. He went to Jerusalem for one reason. To give, not to get. Not a what for what, but a what for God. And because of that, the rest of the book of Acts, Paul will be a prisoner of Rome. Paul has been beat up. He was just about killed. He's been falsely accused. How would you like to be the one accused of destroying Judaism all over the world in this, in this first century world? But it didn't matter. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I want you to take that home with you, friends. And you know what? As we close the service today and we're going to sing our final song today, song of worship and praise, this was the attitude that God had toward you. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have never received forgiveness for sins. You have not received eternal life. 
Uh, you've heard about the Christian message. You've listened to us today, and I know some of this would be new to you. And, but, but the message is very simple. And it's represented by this simple, empty cross behind me that reminds us that God took the attitude, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus Christ came to this earth. God himself lived a perfect life without sin, but he lived a human life and placed himself under all, all the aspects of humanity except sin, lost loved ones, dealt with temptation, had healed and broken relationships, maybe had financial difficulties when his father died. Who knows? He went through all and always tempted like we are, Hebrews tells us. Whatever age, if you're here today and you're a, you're a junior high student, Jesus was that age one time. I tell our little kids when I talk to them, and want, Jesus one time was five or six years. He knows what it's like. And he did this, and then he went to the cross of Calvary, and he was beat, and the nails were driven through his hands and through his feet, and he went to the cross, and he died a human death. He died. You and I will do everything possible to not die this week. He went to the cross to die. Why? Because it was more blessed to give than to receive. And he offers you, my friend, salvation and forgiveness for sins. And he offers you eternal life if you will receive it. We are Christians. Do we believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. For us, the first, there we go. Do you love God today? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, come on now. Do you love God? You know, uh, Wilson's not here anymore. And we don't get to hear that. You know, a little, uh, little Paul Fowler. We all need a little spirit of Paul Fowler in us. You know, Whenever, whenever he asks a question up here and you hear a little voice that answers it, he doesn't know that you're not really supposed to answer it. He thinks you're supposed to answer it, so he answers it. You know, He's out here in the middle of the aisle today trying to see what's going on today. We all need a little spirit of uh, Paul in us to be a little more expressive, huh? A little more happy about what God has done for us. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. I know I'm not a real expressive guy, so I'm not, I'm not any better. I know that. But, boy, God's been so good to us. God has been, even with the dumb things we've done this last week, some of the mistakes we've made, God is so good. God is so good. And friend, I, I just can't think of any, any reason why you wouldn't accept His gift of salvation that He gave to you. I just can't think of a reason. Please, would you consider this? And for closing day, rather than me closing prayer, could we sing that, Ellen, without the instruments just one more time? I love this song. I love this song. Lift your voices and sing it to God. Let's sing this to God so He can hear us sing this this morning. Can you lead us, Ellen? Father, we give to you our lives. And Lord, if, if you bring one, one thing to our mind right now about where we could 
give instead of get. May your Holy Spirit step into our hearts in a powerful way and allow us to do that for your namesake in this week to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.